What's going on, everyone? And welcome in to Plizolt's podcast, filled with glitchy analysis and freezing cold takes so cold that they're boiling hot. Today's podcast is proudly sponsored by Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. Check out their website for both takeout and delivery deals. Right now, they've got a special get a large one-topping pizza for just $7.99. Thank you so much to Hungry Howie's Baton Rouge. But And now, let's get into the last part of the three-part Christmas return series. This is last but certainly not least in our catch-up episodes. Let's talk about the NBA. This season has already made its mark in the history books. We're not even halfway through the year. For starters, there have been 89 40-point games, which would already be the 11th most in NBA history. And these aren't just normal 40-point games. These are offensive masterpieces. Let's look at a few. Here's the top five best 40-point performances, which in my opinion would make a case for performance of the year each in any other season but this. Number five, LeBron James dropping 47-10-9 against the Atlanta Hawks on his 38th birthday. Does this get any better for LeBron? In my opinion, there's no pure athlete who looks this unbelievably athletic, fast, and dominant at this age. During this game, LeBron slammed home a reverse alley-oop that most players would dream of dunking in the prime of their careers as he's turning 38. Not to mention the Lakers won a tough road game against the Hawks. Number four, Nikola Jokic puts up an insane 47, 27, and 10 against the Charlotte Hornets. We all know Jokic likes to get triple doubles and be the focal point of the offense, but this is absolutely nuts. The fact that this is number four on the list just goes to show what an absolute insane year it's been. Number three, Joel Embiid scores 59 and grabs 11 rebounds while blocking seven shots in a great road win against the Utah Jazz. To me, this was such an awesome game to watch because it really began the Joel Embiid MVP case. Not to mention, this was only done in 37 minutes, which is the fewest minutes played among the top five players in this performance list. Number two, Luka Doncic goes nuclear to beat the New York Knicks in the Garden, dropping 60, 21, and 10. The best games and performances to me happen at the Garden. The Mecca is one of the most beautiful places to play basketball and one of the best venues in all of sports. With just 44 seconds left in the game, the Mavericks were down nine, and Luka's heroics took them all the way back to tie the game at 115 to 115, including a buzzer beater to finally tie the game. Luka then proceeds to almost single-handedly beat the New York Knicks in overtime, and he set the franchise record for points. He also recorded the first 60-point, 20-plus rebound game since Wilt Chamberlain. That's 50 years. My God. And number one, most of us missed this because of what happened this past Monday with DeMar Hamlin, but Donovan Mitchell scorched the Bulls. 
and got 71 points, 11 assists, and 8 rebounds. If you go back and watch this game, it's an absolute insane game. Donovan Mitchell took the Bulls to overtime and won for the Cavaliers. What makes this so crazy to think about to me is when you go back and look at Kobe Bryant's 81-point game, he only had two assists. Donovan Mitchell had 11. And yes, yes, of course, I went back and checked this myself. If you tally up each assist and the points that it was worth, those 11 passes were responsible for 30 points, meaning that Mitchell was responsible for 101 points a number that we haven't seen since Wilt Chamberlain again. This is absolutely bonkers to think about. It's an amazing performance. And it will go down in my book as the most underrated performance of all time just because of the sheer fact that most of the country didn't even hear about it. Now, this list was extremely hard to get down to five. I mean, you have... AD scoring 55, Vintage Clay the other night getting 54, Giannis setting his career record for 55 points, Pascal Siakam going for 52 points, Stephen Curry dropping 50 points, Luka Doncic dropping another 50-point game. The list can go on and on and on. But my question is, why are these numbers so high? Before I answer that, Let me provide you with a little bit of context. These stats I'm using are coming from former NBA shooting guard J.J. Reddick's podcast, The Old Man and the Three. In 2006, the number one offense was the Phoenix Suns, who were famous for the seven-second offense with legendary point guards Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire. They scored 112 points per possession. Now, that would rank 16th in the league this year. Meanwhile, the 30th ranked defense from 2006 was the Memphis Grizzlies with just, I think honestly, just Paul Gasol and no one else. They would rank 8th in the league in defensive rating. The greatest scoring team of all time, the 2017 Golden State Warriors with Stephen Curry, Klay Thompson, and Kevin Durant, three of the maybe top 10 shooters of all time. They would rank only 8th in the league in offense this year, while the post-Kobe 2017 Lakers team with like Nick Young and Jordan Hill would be 11th in defensive rating this year. Now, we ask ourselves, how is this possible? Are players just that much worse at defense? If you don't watch these games and you just look at the stats, you would just automatically go to the typical, oh, These players don't try on defense anymore, and it's not nearly as important as it was back in the day. Now, while that sentiment isn't always wrong, to me, it still misses the mark. The reason that offensive scoring is so far up is because the entire league has finally caught up to the Golden State Warriors and the utilization of the three-point shot. Fifteen years ago, it was more common to have somebody on your roster that couldn't shoot rather than have somebody on your roster that could shoot. Today, it is an extreme exception to the rule if you can't pull it from deep. Speaking of deep, let's deep dive and compare. In the 2009-2010 NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Magic, 
there were only 201 threes attempted in a five-game series. That's about 40 threes per game for both teams combined. In the 2021-2022 finals, the Warriors and the Celtics shot 462 threes in six games. That is 77 combined threes a game. That's almost double. The difference between the two is that this game has expanded so much quicker than teams can adapt to on the defensive end, and now the game is 25% statistically faster in terms of possession time. In 2007, the Golden State Warriors averaged the most shot attempts in the league with 85.7. That would rank 24th in the league. So in my opinion, defenses are not worse. Offenses are just infinitely better than they were literally in a dramatic year-by-year leap. I mean, like I was saying, the 2017 Warriors would not be up to par with this year's Warriors team. And they're significantly worse, in my opinion. Offenses are just so much better. This is like the evolution of the spread offense in college football. It just took teams years to figure them out. And to some extent, there's not a solution. We just watched Tennessee score 52 points on Alabama, a team with a defensive mind in Nick Saban. TCU just scored 51 on Michigan, and they had a top 10 defense this year. And Ohio State, they did lose, but they scored 41 on the best defense in college football. The NBA may never be a 50-50 offense and defensive league again, but in my opinion, that's completely okay with me. I love watching these performances, and if I don't see a league-wide effort drop on defense, which I don't see that right now, then I would love to see where the league goes, and I can't wait to see what these new offensive units have to offer going forward. Now let's talk about some other NBA news since the Christmas break. Anthony Davis is out with an injury, and LeBron James has been doing his best to backpack the Los Angeles Lakers. Stephen Curry has been out with an injury, and the Golden State Warriors are doing their best to try to maintain some kind of even record to get Steph Curry back on the floor to make a good playoff push. And they're doing a decent job. They dropped a game to the Pistons the other night. That's okay. It's not great. Now, the Brooklyn Nets have been winning a ton of games. But when you look at the teams that they've played, they've either played teams below 500 or teams above 500, missing one or two starters. Now, that's significant to me because, yes, they are getting on a roll and this could transform into the Nets finally reaching their full potential. But in my opinion, I'm not exactly sure that this team is going to be able to fight through the adversity of playing a fully healthy Boston Celtics team or playing a fully healthy Golden State Warriors team on the road. Something along those lines. And I definitely don't know if they can beat the Milwaukee Bucks when Chris Middleton gets back in the works. Now, when you look at the Western Conference, speaking of injuries, Zion Williamson is going to be out for multiple weeks with a hamstring injury. He just he looks like Anthony Davis, but he's so much younger. And this I I love watching him play. I think he's one of the most entertaining players in the league, one of the most captivating players to watch in person or on the television. It just doesn't seem like he'll ever be able to f- get fully healthy for an extended period of time. 
Now, if he wants to come in and out in spurts for the rest of his career and just dominate the floor when he can, that would be awesome. What I hope is that he comes into the playoffs this year completely healthy, like Anthony Davis did in the bubble in 2020. We watched him absolutely take over, and that's when we thought that LeBron James was going to pass him the torch. I hope that Zion can make it back for the playoffs and show that kind of dominant force so that we can see that going forward. And that's going to do it today for Plaisant's podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.